Train, eat, repeat. The knowledge and know-how you need to live well. Here's your host, Tyler Ferrand. Hey there. Welcome into Train, Eat, Repeat. So glad you guys are listening this week. And if you missed last week's episode with Dr. Aaron Horshig of Squat University, please make sure you guys go back, listen. So many great things that we covered. And uh, again, just a wealth of information. So this week, Andrea is back in the booth with me. Hey, hey. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, two really big topics. And then we're actually going to have a little bit of a quiz for you guys. Don't worry, we'll give you the answers, um, which I don't know if that helps you. (laughs) But but just something to be sort of mindful about. So what are we talking about today? So first of all, around training, we have come across a lot of women that have had a pelvic floor dysfunction. Uh And so um, me especially, I'm not as well versed in it as Andrea is with the fact that obviously she does, she teaches Pilates and the fact that she's a woman and has had children, (laughs) which a lot of times women that have children Uh are ones that have issues with this area in particular. So we want to make sure we cover that. In the nutrition section, we're going to talk about tracking your food. How can it be a good thing? And also, how could it be a very bad thing? And Mm -hmm. Andrea also is going to be one of our case studies because she actually has experienced one of the worst ways to track food. So um, she'll (laughs) definitely be able to give us some of her (laughs) insights. And then we're going to finish up talking about a growth versus fixed mindset. And I know that on this uh, podcast, and it probably was towards the beginning of this podcast, so probably sometime last year, I talked about the two differences, but that's where the quiz is going to come in that you guys will be able to answer yourselves to sort of identify if you indeed have more of a fixed or growth mindset. So without further ado, let's jump right into training. Sure. And talk about the pelvic floor. So what is the pelvic floor? So the pelvic floor, it's not something just women related. Men have a pelvic floor as well, but ours uh, gets hindered when we have children. Um So the pelvic floor is uh, the part of your core muscles. It's part of the group of core muscles that is a muscle that is like a hammock that runs from your pubic bone all the way out to your tailbone and then side to side. So it's like a little hammock that holds everything in there and holds everything nice and tight. Um, Same place it is for males and females. However, as women, as we age and as we have children, um, that, that muscle, that pelvic floor muscle group tends to get overused or stretched out, so to speak. So we have talked to several clients within the past couple of weeks that have had pelvic floor dysfunction or pelvic floor um, weakness that they've noticed as well. It might be either when they're doing jumping jacks and they... um, you know, wet their pants when they're doing jumping jacks or uh, different things like that. So there's some different things that you can do. And, and Pilates is so beneficial for that muscle group because it is part of your core, but because also we target your pelvic floor when we start to do our breathing exercises as well. So the pelvic floor, like if somebody's like doing like crunches and sit-ups and Um, leg raises, that's not necessarily strengthening those particular muscles that we're talking about. No, and it's not only Pilates that will strengthen that. So those muscles that you're talking about when you're doing crunches and leg raises and sit-ups, those are for your abdominals, which is part of your core. However, the pelvic floor is the the base of the core, let's say. Um, So things like squats will definitely help strengthen the pelvic floor because you're strengthening your glutes and your hamstrings, and you're engaging your core when you're 
doing your squats. You're tightening everything up when you come down for a squat. So there's different things that you can do and there's different exercises. It's just Pilates is so targeted and all of our core muscle groups. And so then would it be fair to say that sort of isometric type contraction exercises is going to be something more beneficial for somebody that may be dealing with this issue. Yeah. And for sure. I mean, everyone's talked about Kegels, you know, that's the number one pelvic floor exercise that everyone talks about, but there's also so many um, different exercises when you're laying on your back and your knees are bent and your feet are flat on the floor and you're going to take a big breath in and pull your belly button to your spine and have a little bit of a natural curve in that back. And then as you exhale, you're squeezing those muscles, that pelvic floor muscles up and in. That's part of the scoop that we talk about for Pilates. So that's how to tighten those muscles. It's not holding your breath. Um, another way you can do it is when you go to the bathroom, when you're, you're urinating, is to stop the urination and hold it and then continue to urinate again. Which essentially is the the action of a Kegel, right? Mm -hmm. Except you're not doing it in the act of going to the bathroom. You can just sit in a chair and focus on doing Kegels. Yep, yep. But as as I said, as women age and after childbirth, those muscles do tend to get stretched out. So it's hard. We don't focus on them because it's nothing you can see, right? So we only focus on the muscles that we can see, which is our abdominals and our core. But that is the basic that holds your whole pelvis together. It's your stabilizing muscles. And so definitely not a show me muscle. No. And, and to your point, why somebody wouldn't focus on yeah. it, because yeah. doing like crunches, leg lifts, sit ups, those are all for those show me yeah. muscles that everyone else can see. Yep. And I think, too, you know, this is something that Dr. Aaron Horshick talks about frequently. And since we had him on the podcast last week, that, you know, just because somebody has a six pack or has, you know, abdominals that show does not mean that they necessarily have a strong core Sure. in the sense that, you know, the pelvic floor is nice and strong. It's stabilized. Yep. You can stabilize yourself in a squat and yep. a deadlift. You know, the show me muscles are great, but it's also important Stabilizers. to have the functionality yeah. of it too. Yeah, for sure. And that's the one thing that I, we try and I think we hammer down and preach to everyone is that the reason why we put Pilates into our program, it's not just for the stretching, strengthening, toning benefit of your abdominals, but it's also for understanding those core muscle groups and understanding how to engage them. So when you are lifting heavy in the gym, you can engage them and you won't hurt your lower back. And I think engagement is the biggest word that Mm -hmm. you just said. It's one thing to know where a muscle group is. And and obviously, like, so let's say it's a a, a squat, Mm -hmm. right? It's one thing to say, okay, I know I'm going to be working my legs, but then to be able to feel it in your yeah. in your core, yeah. in your lower back, yeah. in, in a good way, yeah. in your upper back, like yeah. every single muscle is working synergistically in order for you to come from that bottom position to the top. Right. Or like what's some Pilates examples of like where you've had clients not necessarily feel the movement at first, but then over time have been oh. able to develop sure. sort of that connection. Sure. I would say um, – I would say specifically the hundreds, um, the hundreds work that we do in Pilates. I think people think it's just moving your arms up and down, but it's really isometrically holding your abdominals. So a lot of times um, Pilates doesn't 
the light bulb doesn't come on for Pilates until you're on your maybe fifth or sixth session of consistently doing work because you're you're scooping your core, but you're not understanding the scoop. A lot of times when I, I say pull your belly button into your spine, a lot of people suck it in and they hold their breath. It's not holding your breath. It's pulling that belly button in, stably, stabilizing that core, but still trying to do all those different movements. So when you're laying down and doing your hundreds and your back is flat and your knees are in tabletop or your legs are up and you're curled up, your core should be burning the whole time. It shouldn't be burning at the last 10 or the last five. It should be burning from that minute. And the breathing of uh, beating your arms up and down is to get your circulation going, but it's an isometric hold to get those abdominals warmed up. And there's also, so what are some other like, besides the Pilates movements that you've described, Yeah. but what would be some other movements, maybe, you know, starter movements that people could utilize to strengthen pelvic floor, sure. strengthen the, the entire core itself? Sure. So if you're new to strengthening um, abdominals or strengthening that pelvic floor, as I said before, laying down on your back with your knees bent, your feet are flat. And I want you to have a little bit of a curve in that, in that back, not totally flat, a small little curve in that back. But then I want you to inhale, pulling that belly button in and just raise your knee to your chest and then drop it back down. But you're pulling that belly button in and you're embracing that core the whole time. So that belly button is pulled into that spine and you're not letting it pop out like like dough, so to speak. So then what's happening is, is that you're not necessarily moving your leg at the leg. You're your moving abdominals. it with your core. Yep. Your yep. abdominals is, is focused on the whole movement. Okay. And same idea too, like if you want to look at like non-Pilates specific training, like anything where you are in an isometric contraction mm -hmm. and you're basically resisting force. So mm -hmm. like a plank, a hollow hold. Mm -hmm. um, we've also done a pull-off press before, which mm -hmm. is more for your lateral core and your obliques. Um, and just, I mean, should people be practicing Kegels? I absolutely. And glute bridges are another good one too. A glute, glute bridge is yeah. a really good one where you're, you're squeezing your glutes, but you're also pulling in that core and raising those hips up to the ceiling. What's like the the right prescription or dosage of kind of core work that for the pelvic floor specifically that is like recommended? So um, I would, if you're going to just work on specifically your pelvic floor, I would work on it probably every other day at first for maybe five to 10 minutes, starting off two minutes, going up to five, don't going over 10 minutes. But if you're doing it with an applies program, I would do it every other day. Okay. And that's just for the purpose of like recovery that day yep. in between. Yep. It would be your active recovery that you're doing, but start slow. And it's just a reminder to start, you know, doing those exercises. Um, you can do a lot of them by just sitting in your car. You can do a lot of them just laying down or getting ready for bed, just different things like that. And I think another huge point you hit on when you're talking about how you're using your core in a squat, realize that core work, again, is not just sit-ups and not just crunches. Oh, yeah. You know, the traditional exercises that people see all the time or for the show me muscles, but your core is working all yeah. the time. Oh, yeah. And so one of the best examples I always give people is like, let's say you're going in a car going 70 miles an hour and you slam on the brake. That isometric contraction that you create in your core, that bracing is the same type of bracing that we do in Pilates, the same type of bracing you do before yeah. you go into a squat, into a deadlift. And that essentially is your girdle or your yeah. belt yeah. for your entire midsection. Right. So even though we're talking about the pelvic floor here, like there are so many benefits. Right. So like you had said, and the, the pelvic floor is the sling that holds everything else together. And like you said, the girdle 
is what goes around your stomach and to your back. So when you're embracing your core, it's essentially like wearing that belt, like that, a corset that lift that lifters well that lifters wear. So it's it, when you're engaging that core, you're protecting that spine so nothing gets out of alignment. Perfect. Awesome. So hopefully do your Kegels and, uh, and, and work your pelvic floor. And if you guys need more ideas yeah. on how to do that, um, like I said, we, we've, we've felt it was a pertinent topic to bring up because we continue to meet people that uh, have a difficulty, yeah. you know, in this area. And I think a lot of it just comes down to not knowing what to do once you get the diagnosis. Absolutely. Yeah. A- and strength is always a good answer. Right. And it's not, it's not getting the bladder sling. Um, there, Jeez, it's not yeah. a magic pill. Um, we've seen a lot of, uh, heard a lot of horrible stories. You, there's so much you can do by just doing exercise. Absolutely. Perfect. All right. So let's switch to uh, nutrition. So this week, um, we felt it was important to bring up this topic. Number one, because, uh, it's one of the hardest things to do. And in fact, we don't do it with the majority of our clients. It's a very advanced method of sort of portion control, um, and, and sort of like, I don't even want to say it shapes habits really, but a a difficult way to track your food. And that is in the sense of macronutrients. Mm -hmm. So looking at proteins, carbs, and fats, figuring out what calorie range you're going to have, and then doing a tracking on like lose it app on my fitness pal, my plate. plate. Mm -hmm. So Andrea and I, um, we're in our second week right now of, well, I would say it's still our first first week. week. (laughs) First week feels like it's been so long. So we talked about it last week. That's why. It's because it's so arduous, guys. You don't understand. He had to talk me into doing it. That's why. But no, let me explain. So (laughs) Andrea has some goals, which is great. And I have some goals. And the thing is, is that when you're a coach and you know the basics, right, and you've sort of dialed in like a routine and, and you're really good at eating your proteins, your carbs, your fats, you're eating minimally processed foods. But yeah, you kind of want to take it up the next level. Yeah, you right? always want to challenge yourself. Sure. Yeah. And so I just told Andrew, well, maybe what we should do is actually like figure out what our calories should be. And there is obviously a formula to that. I'm not just waving a magic wand and saying this is what it should be. We like to experiment on ourselves before we ask someone else to do it. <laughs> well, for sure. Yeah. Well, and there's science yeah. behind it. Yeah. And the fact that we are coaches and that we feel that we it's not going to be a burden on us because we understand the science of eating healthy. But more so, so that way we could really take a look at it at the sample size. So we're going to do it for a couple of weeks and say, okay, what is what we did inside of tracking our food and proteins, carbs, and fats yield the results that we wanted? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but this is a, a big topic for people because, mm-hmm. or a pain point for people really, because I think this is where most people try to start. Yes. Their journey? Yes, they do. Where yes. it should be reversed. Like this Absolutely. should be one of the last things they do. Yes. So I go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're yeah. fine. No, I think a lot of people, they're like, well, I am going to start losing weight. So I'm going to count how many calories I'm going to have and I'm going to log it. And then they get frustrated or they get distracted because it does take a lot to log their food. Whereas we like to do it in a different order. We like to educate you as to what your food, what your plate needs to look like, what a healthy portion looks like, what a healthy plate and a healthy meal looks like. And then if we have to, then let's start tracking to make sure that we're actually eating enough of those macronutrients. And the reason why we go that approach is because if you don't know already how to First of all, balance your plate, like yeah. Andrea just talked about, and that 
we also need to shape other habits like creating a better eating environment yep. in your kitchen. And we also need to ensure that you know how to prep meals right. and, and really like prepare for your week to go straight to calorie counting and macronutrients and everything like that without really understanding that it's not just about getting the right macros, right? Like there's that method out there called IIFYM, if it fits your macros, where basically as long as you hit your macronutrient counts, it really doesn't matter what you eat, right. which could not be further from the truth. Like you're just asking for like a ton of metabolic issues, a ton of stomach issues. Um, so please don't do that. But we felt it was important to talk about our own experiences doing it. And then if you do feel like you're going to do it, how to do it properly. Mm-hmm. So Andrea, you did a fitness competition mm-hmm. and Obviously, when you step on stage, what body fat percentage were you at? (laughs) I actually never took it when I got on stage. I took it the week before I got on stage, and I wanted to get on stage thinking that I I didn't want to be crushed by the number if I didn't hit it. So I... I had a really huge mental game when I was doing my fitness competition. So, so what were you the week before? So the week before I got on stage, I think I was at a 10 and 11. I hovered there. Which, for those of you that don't know, 10 to 11% would be fantastic. Actually, it'd be optimal for a male, which males carry less body fat than women, just genetically, based on hormone makeup and the fact that they have to raise children. Um But for women, optimal would be 18 to 28%. So I just want to give you a perspective of the fact that when a competitor like Andrea was steps on stage, you're at a body fat percentage that you absolutely cannot maintain long term and you shouldn't because it wrecks your hormones. And the other factor, too, is that there's no way that you would have gotten there had you not done sort of the macro counting mm-hmm. and making sure mm-hmm. that everything was dialed in. So mm-hmm. tell us about your experience going through that. Sure. So this is why I said Tyler had to talk me into doing our um, tracking <laughs> our, our calories and our macronutrients. So I um, did a competition uh, years ago and I trained for it for 18 months. So uh, for 18 months, I was and this is why we say don't go on to my fitness pal for your first part of doing this. I logged every single thing that went across my lips. I, any Anything I touched and I logged it and I, it gave me a very unhealthy mindset on food. I wasn't, I wasn't eating to enjoy my company. I wasn't eating to enjoy the food or eating to fuel my body. I was eating thinking, I'm going to have to go and work this off as soon as I get done. As soon as it's digested, I'm going to have to run. I'm going to go have to work out. I, it was a very... Um, very arguous process and very, um, like I said, heavy on my mental game. Now, when I stepped on stage and I was at a 10 or 11, I still was not at stage ready competition weight. Which is crazy to think. Yeah. And that, yeah. and I was, I think I weighed this, I think I weighed a tiny bit less than I did in high school. And I did my comp, I did my competition, I think when I was 37 ish. Okay. I think. So anyway, long story short. So for 18 months, I tracked every single food, every single item, drink, um, protein drink, anything that I could. Uh, I, I logged it all. And that was the number that I lived and died by every day. If I looked at my number at nighttime and it wasn't something that I wanted it to, to be, I didn't sleep good. If I looked at it and it wasn't the right amount, it was, it was a constant push-pull struggle. 
Which so much of what you're talking about is the effect it had on your mental. Oh, yeah. Like emotional yeah. sensibility. Yeah. Not even so much how arduous it was yeah. to track and measure every yeah. single morsel of food. I mean, and you were a mom with yeah. two young kids yeah. and a job. Like, how did you manage all of that? I remember, I remember taking the boys to, I want to say it was Henry Ford. Uh, for like a Sunday, let's go out and walk around kind of thing. And I remember we stopped at like the cafeteria and they got a lunch and I had brought like three almonds and a thing of travel protein and a bottled water. And I dumped the protein into the bottled water and ate my three almonds. And I was like, okay, I, I need to go walk around. I can't, I can't sit in this environment. It was just a very, very unhealthy environment. So I was, I was so in tune to my 18 months progress, um, that that's all I lived and breathed. And, and being a mom, you know, I was trying to enjoy things that they did. I, I didn't drink for a very, I think I drank on my birthday. Um, but I didn't drink for like the whole time. And I, I changed who I was hanging out with. Um, I changed my whole environment because it was all just laser focused on getting on stage. Was there anything positive you learned from that experience? Because <laughs> right now, I have to, we just went through all the th- all the hardship of it and and the mental and emotional and physical toll that it took yeah. on you. But did you learn anything about yourself going through the process? You know, and I would say I will never talk someone out of doing a competition. It just was not my thing. My thing is how you feel on the inside. If you feel good on the inside, you're going to look great on the outside, regardless of what any type of measurement you have. I... Um, I, I do, I, I learned a lot about my body. I learned a lot about my mindset. I learned um, that my body could um, change in different ways that I didn't think it could. Um, I was extremely proud of getting up on stage because that's not something I would ever do, especially in those itty bitty bikinis. Um, but I did it. It might not have been graceful. And in fact, I know it wasn't, but um, I did learn a lot about myself and that I didn't need the support of anyone else besides me to get there. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. And know that I I just wanted to give you guys that sort of (laughs) example because, and not to talk you out of it, because again, I would say there's probably about somewhere, I would say around like 10% of clients that we sort of uh, allow them to sort of start tracking and things like that. But it's not more so for them to step on stage like Andrea did, but more so to notice trends. And more in trend that we typically see with women and the reason why I would want them to track and men too sometimes is that the typical mindset when you go onto a diet is I need to slash calories, yeah, right? You, yeah. at, the, at the very least, you have a basic understanding that it's as simple as calories in versus calories out. Yep. Obviously, we know as coaches, there's other variables that play into that. But what they end up doing is they end up cutting their calories by 500 to 1500, 2000 calories where like you'll have somebody eating 600 calories a day, right? You don't know how many people that we've talked to and they're like, well, I'm eating 1200 calories a day. And both and I, we like bite our tongue with the no, 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 no. Well, and the, and the reason why we we say no, 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 is because yes, you will get weight loss yeah. to a start, yeah. right? Like your 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 body's gonna give yeah, you're starving yourself, and your body's gonna get rid of it. What then ends up happening though is that your body sort of self regulates. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's trying to keep you it's alive, adapt, yeah. and it adapts, and it says, hold on a second, you're not even giving me enough food here to lie awake in bed, much less do all this activity and workouts and things like that. So then hormonal function goes into the tank, your mood goes into the tank. Um, I mean, you're, you're essentially riding this emotional roller coaster, yeah. this hormonal roller coaster. So 
what we the reason why we would have somebody track that was maybe in this situation is to make them realize that they can still eat more food and guess what feel better yeah. have more energy have more better cognitive function and also lose weight yeah and we're talking the reason why we do the education of what your healthy portion plate meal needs to look like is because everyone's so focused on low fat low carb uh, 100 ca- 100 calorie snack packs like well I'm going to have this because it's only 100 calories and that's what I'm trying to maintain my calories. It's like, no, 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 you can have 100 calories. You can have probably, I think it's like two and a half cups of broccoli, or actually I think it's three cups of broccoli, and that's 100 calories, and that's going to fill you up. So there's so many other different ways you can get your calories in a whole food manner, not doing the process route. So we like to do the education so they understand what the foods look like first. So if somebody were to want to track their food Uh for whatever reason, right? And we're not here to say what's a good reason versus a bad reason. Obviously, you know our feelings around it and when it should be implemented. And it also depends on the the person and the timing and everything like that. But what would you suggest to somebody if they're like, you know what, I want to track my food? I would say, um, well, let's take a look at what you're eating so far. So I want to understand their habits first and understand what type of foods they're putting in your body. So maybe after we do a couple days of journaling just food, like just or send me a picture of what your meals look like. And then I can get an understanding because when you type your information into FitnessPal, it's going to give you a very skewed number. And a lot of people take that. Well, it said I should have 1200 calories because I want to lose this much this many pounds before this amount of time. Yes. For the love of God, <laughs> do not follow the recommendations for calories on MyFitnessPal. Okay. It's working off of an algorithm and it it, it it's going to treat you like everyone, uh, everyone else around you. And we're not like and, everyone and, else. Yeah, exactly. You are unique and there's unique factors that play into your caloric need, you know, in terms of how much energy you're expending every single day, your job, your exercise, uh, your hormones, like how how good are your is your testosterone and your estrogen running? Like all of those factors play a role in your total caloric burn or caloric need. Like to listen to a My Fitness Pal app, which like don't get me wrong, it, it has its merits, but that is not one of them. Uh-uh. So you definitely need to find a coach who knows what they're talking about in terms of actually figuring out what your caloric balance should look like. And to Andrew's point, part of that is actually seeing what the current state of Mm -hmm. the state looks like, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of what Andrea and I are doing right now. We're taking a look at the state of the state and looking at what pivots we could potentially make. We're not looking to step on stage in 18 months like Andrea was at that time. So really, we're we're sort of experimenting. We're kind of scientists to a certain degree. We are. We're experimenting on ourselves. In a good way, though. Yeah. Like, oh, we yeah, feel good. Sure. We're not slashing calories down. Right. And I've got a different mindset going in because... I had to talk her into that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm sorry. To, I had a different mindset going in because, I, you know, when he's like, let's start tracking our calories. And I was like... And I went back to that moment when I was doing it because I was so obsessive about it. Um, that it's just like, oh, okay, let me track, let me track, let me track. And then I don't look at it until the end of the day just to be like, oh, I'm, I'm missing this or I, I went over. But we were just calculating um, upstairs after our lunch and we were both ha- ca- commenting on how well we both feel about what we've been doing so far and that, you know, tracking my food, um, it's forcing me to actually eat more than I usually do. And that's another reason 
why we would people put someone on tracking their calories because a lot of times they're not eating enough foods. Yeah. Like for, for instance, and I won't say, say her name, but I have a client that I've been working with for a number of months now. And so we obviously started with the basics. We yeah. started with what she was currently eating, started working through what a balanced plate looks like using the hand method, yep. the hand portion guide. Yep. But re- then we, and she's lost over 20 pounds so far, awesome. which is amazing. Yeah. And inevitably, just like any person who goes through and a weight loss journey, calories. right? Yeah. You hit a plateau though. Yeah. yeah. And so I needed to understand exactly what was going on besides looking looking at a picture because right. a picture sometimes is worth a thousand words. And in this case it is yeah, right. Yeah. And what we learned was that she was actually under eating by about 300 to 400 calories a day, which could be a meal, which yeah, is a meal. And, and the crazy thing was, she messaged me uh, just the other day is she said, you know, what's crazy is that eating more food, I actually feel mm. so much better. <laughs> like I'm not moody. Light bulb. Yeah. I don't, feel like I'm sluggish in the middle of the afternoon. Yeah. I feel like I have more energy for my workouts. I feel wow. like I'm recovering. So like that was just eye-opening for her. That's awesome. And the good thing is, and and obviously what she's worried about is, is that I'm not going to lose weight because I'm still, you know, I'm eating more calories. It's not the way the body works. Yeah. And in and, and some, some cases when we have somebody increase their calories, so that way the weight can come off, we call that reverse dieting. Mm-hmm. It's a reverse process of we're not going to slash calories. We're actually going to get you to eat more mm-hmm. and, and quality calories. So that way the body can start to self-regulate and yeah. start to let go of those. Yeah, that metabolism jumps up and then it starts to work. Yeah, that's awesome. So again, we're mm-hmm. not saying that that tracking your food no. is bad. We're not saying that tracking your food is good. What we're saying is you need to find the best approach for you. Yep. And what you also have to understand is that it is another to-do that you're adding to your list. Yes. But probably one of the best things that you can do is find a coach and hire a coach to really figure and make sure they are well-versed in terms of healthy nutrition, weight loss, not just weight loss. Right. Um, you know, if you have a coach that wants you to slash your calories without ever looking at your current state of affairs, you're not with the right coach. I know two really good coaches that you could hire as well. <laughs> I think I do too. <laughs> Weird. Um, <laughs> just a little self-promotion. I hope you guys don't mind. So... Anyway, let's uh, switch topics before we promote ourselves anymore. We can't even fit our heads in this broadcast booth right now. But I uh, wanted to talk to you guys real quick about a growth versus fixed mindset. Um, so I'm reading uh, this book by Chip and Dan Heath. It's somewhat of an older book, but really good if you guys want to pick it up. It's called Switch, How to Change Things When Change is Hard. And I came across this series of questions and I'm going to read them off to you guys. And after each question, I want you to think mentally if you're driving your car or if you're at home, you can write them down. But I want you guys to either agree or disagree with each question I'm about to read or each statement. Excuse me. So number one, you are a certain kind of person and there's not much that can be done to really change that. Do you agree or disagree with that statement? You are a certain kind. Let's read it again. You are a certain kind of person and there is not much that can be done to really change that. Okay. Number two, no matter what kind of person you are, you can always change substantially. Do you agree or disagree with that? Number three, you can do things differently, but the important parts of who you are can't really be changed. Do you agree or disagree with that? And number four, you can always change basic things about the kind of person you are. Do you agree or disagree with that? So the 
think about that real quick. And if you have to back it up a little bit or, or re listen to the, to the uh, sort of statements, but the important piece of this to know is, is that if you agreed with items one and three, you're someone who has a fixed mindset. So really you're of the belief that you are who you are. Yep. There's not much that you can change and, and sort of to a certain extent without getting too crazy, it, it's sort of saying like my fate is determined already. Yeah. Like yep. there's I nothing really I can do to change it. Yeah. But if you agree with items two and four, you tend to have a growth mindset, which basically means that you see potential in anything that whoever you were born to be or whoever you grew up as you have the ability to be something better, different, um, you know, and aspire to really get to your true potential. And more importantly, and in, in, especially in terms of this book, because it's called about why change is hard. If you have a growth mindset, you, making a change or a switch is going to be much easier yeah. versus a fixed mindset. Like we were talking the other day about like how a fixed mindset a lot of times keeps people from actually even taking action. Sure. Yeah. Because they, they are very much not set in your way, but they're just very much, well, this is my fate. So this is what, you know, I, I'm always going to be 20 pounds overweight and I just can't seem to lose it. So why even try? Right. You start having negotiations and you believe them where you're like, well, everybody in my family is overweight. So that just means that I, I'm going to be overweight. Right. Or somebody says, I can never uh, get down to X body weight because of my genetics. Right, right. Which I'm here to tell you, your genetics play about a 3 to 5% role. I'm just I'm saying. I'm sorry, what was that again? 3 to 5%. Hmm. Which if you're talking about, sure, an elite athlete, mm-hmm. they're the top 1% in their sport. Yes, there are genetic freaks out there that mm-hmm. um, obviously perform and look the way they do based off their genetics. Mm-hmm. But what I'm here to tell you is that overwhelming majority of us have the potential to live above our genetics. And a big part of that is that you have to start, right? Yeah. And you can't start if you feel that you're predetermined a certain fate. Mm-hmm. And so if I have a fixed mindset, how can I get to a growth mindset? Well, I think I think the first thing is, is that you sort of have to condition your brain to get rid of those subconscious thoughts you have of yourself, right? So we've talked on this podcast numerous times and on social media about the power of Mm self-talk, the power of affirmations, um, you know, and doing those first thing in the morning and at night. Mm -hmm. So when you're in those lower brain waves, those lower conscious brain waves, so that way it actually sticks into your brain and you have to do it multiple times because how long have you been fed talking about the example? person that you're overweight and that's just the way it is, right? Yep. We are our own worst critic. And our own worst enemy. And you definitely are if you stay in a fixed mindset. Yes. So just wanted to uh, sort of end this podcast somewhat on a positive note and and sort of thought provoking. If you guys have more thoughts around like, you know, a fixed versus growth mindset, we would love to hear your comments. You guys can comment um, on the iTunes or you guys can hit us up on Facebook. um, And we look forward to speaking with you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Train, Eat, Repeat. Connect with us on Instagram at fit underscore ferrant or at traineatrepeat.co. Until next time, stay strong, stay healthy.